0: My name's Ross. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Bethel, and if you've got your Bibles, go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. That's where we're going to be this morning. It's our practice that in the month of August, we talk about who we are as a church. Um, and in September, we're going to start a series through the book of Joshua, and looking forward to that. But for today... We are talking about, and and through the rest of August, who we're called to be as a people who live generously. In fact, it's built right into um, our vision statement because it's built right into the New Testament, and it is not a new idea in the New Testament, it's one we get from the Old Testament. And so we're looking at that. And, And to do that this month, we've got these booklets, I'll talk a little bit about it later, But if you haven't picked one of these up, we'd love for you to pick it up. It's got some devotionals in it um, for every week here in August and a place to take some notes and then some information about the campaign that we're going to ask you to participate in um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, Six million dollars over two years. That's what we're trying to do. And we're doing that to launch the next 40 years of ministry and to prepare for the growth that is happening and, and gonna happen, even at a, at a greater rate here in Tyler. I was talking with a friend the other day, and uh, he drives a sports car. And I was asking him, how fast will it go? And he said, well, I, I don't know, which my first thought was you're doing it wrong then. but. Uh, but he said, he said I, don't, I don't know, I've gotten it up, um, but he was telling me how there's this setting on his car that will alert him if he goes over 85 miles an hour. And so if it sneaks up over 85, he's got a little alarm thing that goes off that says, hey, you're, you're speeding. And the reason is, is because the ride is so smooth that he, he, he could be speeding and not even realize that he was going as fast as he was going. Now... My truck, I can speed my truck, but my dashboard starts to rattle uh, when I am over the speed limit. So that's how, that's the warning in my truck. The point is that we are susceptible to gradual danger, incremental danger. And unless we're warned, we'll, we'll fall prey to it. We'll find ourselves... In danger, and we know this kind of danger by the, you know, the illustration we, we talk to about it with our children, the parable of the, of the frog in the pot of water, and you increase the temperature, and it happens so slowly that the frog fails to realize that he's in trouble until it's too late. You've probably seen it this summer, as one example. I remember when my kids were little, in the shallow end of the pool. And say, stay, stay close, and, and yet they'd inch deeper and deeper until they couldn't touch the bottom, and, and so you, that's why you got to keep an eye on them. Or it happens, you know, when a teenage girl, she's gradually losing weight, and the parents, they, they don't notice that that's happening. and Not until the grandparents come for a visit and are able to notice and say, hey, I, I think she's losing weight, or, or a couple... You know, it's growing apart in their marriage, and they think it's a normal part of marriage until they get together with some old friends they haven't seen for months, and and they instantly recognize something isn't right, and so they start to ask questions. Sometimes we need someone who's outside of of the pot of the water to warn us because we're oblivious to the danger that's sneaking up on us and we're all in the same pot. The pot of water we find ourselves in is called materialism. And it's heating up around us and and we're oblivious to it. And unless somebody from the outside, I mean, could warn us, it's likely, it's probable, that we'll fall prey to it. We had a missionary here a few years ago and I remember an observation that he made he says, the houses you build for your cars are bigger than the ones we build for our families. And what he was talking about were the garages. I mean, sometimes all it takes is a phrase like that, right? You know, an observation from the outside snaps you out of the, of the trance that we're lulled into. You know, we're in this pot of water and unless somebody warns us, we'll find ourselves being boiled to life. And when you look at Scripture, you find there are these warnings all over the place. And so we're going to look at a few of them today. I want to start with one from Moses. I want to look at a couple from Jesus. And then I want to end with one from Paul. And, And the warning is this, that you can have all that you would ever want. You can have all that you could ever want and then lose everything that matters. In fact, it was a big topic for Jesus while he was on earth with the disciples. He talked about money more than he talked about any other thing. And I think the reason, like I said last week, is because Jesus saw that money was the primary competition for our hearts. And so if you're here and you've already just checked out, ultimately, let me just say this. I I am not preaching a sermon about trying to get you to tithe. In fact, next week I'm going to spend a whole 30 minutes trying to show you the the New Testament as believers. Tithe isn't for you. You're like, oh great, I'll come back next week. That's not what I'm trying to do. Yes, we are in a campaign to raise money. We're seeking to prepare as a church what we believe that God's called us to do, that all of that is true, and I am not trying to spend this, but here is the truth, and this is the absolute truth. We're trusting God for six million dollars. We are not trusting the members and attenders at Bethel Bible Church for six million dollars. If I thought it was up to you, and I thought it was my job to stand up here and to sell you something in hopes that you'd buy it, then I would quit. I don't have any interest in that. Actually, I, I, I can't do it. I'm a terrible salesman. Here's my aim. I am not aiming at you coming away with any guilt about tithing this morning. My aim is to challenge you to look at your life differently. So if you checked out, come back. Come back in here for a minute. This is... Crucial for your spiritual life because it is all about stewardship your life, your time, your relationship, your resources. And there's these warnings that come in scripture that if we find ourselves lulled to sleep by the materialistic culture, then we will miss these untold opportunities to experience and to express the love and the life of Christ. We'll miss those chances. And so this morning, here's what we're talking about. We're going to talk about the dangers of wealth. We're going to look at some warnings, and here's the danger, that we would trust our money. Just the danger. It's the biggest danger some of us Face that we would trust our money. First one I want to look at is a warning from Moses. If you've got Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm going to read the first few verses and then I'm going to pick up towards the end and fill in the pieces for you. It says this: "The, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. What Moses is doing is he's recounting to the generation that's gonna inherit the promised land. The generation that's been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, they're not gonna get to go into the promised land, save two people. But God wants to remind him, listen, you're about to go in and I wanna remind you, I don't want you to forget, he's gonna say two things. Um, uh, Remember and don't forget. He's gonna say, remember four times in, in, in chapter eight and nine and he's gonna say, don't forget four times In chapters 8 and 9. Remember how I cared for you. Remember how I met all of your needs. Remember that when you were physically in danger, I took care of everything. Remember that. Don't forget it. He goes on, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that He might humble you Testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you'd keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and then fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make known to you that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. For 40 years, I took care of you. You were absolutely, totally, completely dependent upon me. And all of the danger that the wilderness was, God, through Moses, is going to say the promised land, the land that's rich with milk and honey, and he's going to describe all the things in the land, that's more dangerous. And so I'm telling you to remember And not to forget. Well, don't forget what? Well, don't forget the Lord. Why? Remember what? Remember the Lord's provision. Remember your dependence. You may exist by material things alone. But you will not live by them. In fact, Jesus remembered this very thing in the 40 days in the wilderness, which is supposed to cause you to think about the 40 years in the wilderness. And he quotes that verse 3 to the tempter when he comes to the temptation. Well, pick up with me in verse 11. Um, I don't have that on the screen. But listen to what it says, and then we'll skip down to a couple of verses. He says, Take care, lest you forget... The Lord your God, by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. The reason He tells them not to forget is because there's a danger that awaits them in the land of milk and honey, the promised land. And the danger is wealth. The danger is prosperity. The danger is blessing. You you can have all that you would ever want and lose everything that matters. In fact, in verses 7 through 10, just before this, he says, hey, it's a good land with good things. You're going to eat bread without scarcity. You'll lack nothing. The good land which God has given you, and it's dangerous. It can cause you to forget. Verse 11. Look at what else it can cause you to do in verse 17 and 18. Beware. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it's He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers unto this day. Oh, we don't usually say things like that with our lips. You know, we usually talk about how blessed we are. It's what's happening in our hearts. God says, you're about to go into the promised land, and there's great danger there, and here's the danger. You could have everything you'd ever want. And you could forget the Lord and lose everything that matters. Well, if you'll turn over with me, I want you to see a couple of ways that Jesus talks about the very same things The very same warnings that he gives. The first one I want to look at is in Matthew chapter 13. And it comes in the middle of uh, Jesus teaching parables. It's kind of the beginning of the parables. And he gives this first parable, the parable of of the sower. You know, where the seed gets scattered in the soil, it's actually really probably better the parable of the soils. It's about these four soils that the seed gets scattered on and, and the, the different effects that the soil has in receiving the seed. But I want to just highlight one of those soils. It's the one that um, it, that is, you know, has the weeds in it. You throw, you throw the seed in uh, and it grows, but the weeds come up and it chokes it out and Jesus' point is, listen, here's the warning. Money, wealth, riches, That the kingdom of God, which is what he's sowing, is threatened. There's a warning. And the warning is that, that money can rob you blind. It can steal that which is most precious from you. It's an entryway into the parable teachings of Jesus. He begins with this parable and he explains it. He doesn't always explain them, but he's kind of saying, here's how they work. And look at what he says in Matthew 13, 22 about the, the, the third soil that he was talking about. He says, and, and as for what is sown amongst thorns, this is the one who hears the word. The word about the kingdom, the word of life, the the word of promise, the gospel. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. Cares of the world, they're linked to the deceitfulness of riches. And so notice the effect. So the gospel of Jesus, the true life of the kingdom, is spread into this person's life, but there are competing interests. Thorns is what they're called. The wealth, the riches, the deceitfulness, it can create this state of Delusion. It's a deceitfulness that Jesus is talking about. It can bait us and snare us and and suck us in so that the gospel doesn't bear fruit. So that we don't experience everything that God has for us. If you buy the lie that money sells, you'll miss what God has for you. Money, it'll rob you blind. It makes promises that it can't keep promises you security, promises you happiness, it promises you freedom, but if you talk to somebody that has a lot of money, so did, you, did you find those things, security, happiness, freedom, security? No, no, no. there's actually much more insecurity, it comes with worrying about losing what you, what you have, or having it taken away. Happiness? Well, there are some happy moment, moments. Moments? But there is some underlying sadness that comes along with it, because money doesn't keep all of its promises. Freedom? No. With money comes quite a bit of bondage. You become enslaved to all of your stuff. It makes promises about everything that you could ever want. But the truth is it can't give you anything that truly matters. It'll rob you blind. That's the warning. If you want an internet black hole for this afternoon, go home and Google, lottery winners who lost it all. I did that this week, and I came across an article that was just written a couple of days ago. Actually, it was in view of the $1.3 billion mega ball power thing. It's fascinating. But listen to how it started. It It was written August the 10th by Andrew Lisa. 23 lottery winners who lost millions, that's the title of it. Winning the lottery is not all it's cracked up to be. It says this the odds of winning the mega millions or the Powerball are slim, but the odds of your life devolving into chaos, if you somehow pull it off, are actually quite good. Most lottery dreams share a few things in common, yachts and lobster tails, big tips, fast cars, fast life, a mansion for mom. In reality, instant entry into the nouveau rich class has a way of wrecking Friendships, destroying marriages, ending in bankruptcy or worse. It leaves some worse off than they started. It's mind-boggling to me. If you believe the lies that money sells, it'll rob you blind. Not only that, money can fool you. Look over at Luke chapter 12. I want you to see Jesus um, is teaching over there. It's another parable. And it's the parable of the rich young fool. Money... Not only will it rob you blind, but it can fool you. Um, he's teaching on one of his favorite subjects. The power of money, how easy it is to be deceived by it. The parable of the rich fool. I'm in chapter 12. I'm going to pick up with verse 15. So he says to him This um, somebody in the crowd has come and, and wants him to be an arbitrator. To tell my brother or family member to give me half of what he has. So, so Jesus answers in verse 15, and he says, take care and be on your guard. It's the warning language. Against all covetousness. Maybe yours says greed. And then notice what he says. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Be on your guard. There's a, a greed that comes with wanting more. In fact, that's the very essence of greed. And the specific reason we're to be on guard, Jesus says, that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Listen, the water that you were all swimming in tells you the exact opposite. Here's how it comes across. You see if you can finish the sentence for me. He, or, or the... Or the. One with the most toys wins. That's the message of the the world around us. Life is found in the abundance of possessions. The more stuff you have, the better stuff you have, the newer stuff you have, you'll be happy. And then Jesus comes along and he says the exact opposite. He's saying, listen to me, let me warn you. The, the water's getting hotter. The, the, uh, the, the, the miles per hour is increasing, and you, you don't even recognize it. But life does not consist in the abundance of one, one's possessions. And then Jesus provides the illustration. He says, let me tell you a story in verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully... And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barn and build bigger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. If you believe the lies money tells you, it'll rob you of what God has for you. If you fall into one of these lies, which is that life will will consist of the abundance of your possessions. You'll find yourself in a mess. You will find yourself fooled, confused, deceived. And you how? how how do I know if I'm fooled? Verse 21 tells us, if you're fooled, you'll be hoarding your resources for yourself. You'll not be giving to what God cares about. So if you're sitting asking, am I fooled? Well, are you hoarding your possessions for yourself? Are you giving generously to the things that God cares about? Because money can fool you. Actually, what Jesus says, it can make a fool of you. You can have all that you ever want, and yet you'll lose everything that matters. Well, there's one more I want to show you from Jesus, and then I'll flip over to Paul. But you go over just a couple of chapters to chapter 18 of Luke. And this one um, in my Bible is titled The Rich Young Ruler. And this is how it begins. And it says this, "And and a ruler asked him, came to Jesus and asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell this story. So you put all the accounts together, you get a pretty good profile of this guy. We know he's very wealthy. He's a leader in the community, a ruler. He's morally upright. It means he's a good guy. He's young. And he's seeking the wisdom of Jesus. Because even though he had all the resources, he knew that something was missing so it goes on ruler asked him good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life so so even though I have all these resources there must be something more to life that's why I'm here what do I need to do to get that Jesus says in verse 19 why do you call me good no one's good except God alone just as an aside here the text is actually understood by some people to say "Well, see Jesus is saying that he's not God, because only God's good, and why are you calling him good? But that's not what Jesus is doing at all. I think he's looking at this guy and maybe making a comment about how insightful this guy is. You're on to me. Maybe... You call me good because you know that I'm God. I think it's very possible the guy understands who Christ is, and that's why he's there. And he's got all these resources, and he's longing for something more than all his resources can give him. So he comes to Jesus, asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. So Jesus says… You know the commandments, verse 20. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, verse 22, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Now stop for a second. Notice this. Jesus didn't give him all of the Ten Commandments. Did you notice that? When he started to give the commandments, he just gave some of them. The ones he gave were the the second half of the Ten Commandments, the the second tablet, the the second table, if you will. He didn't say anything about the the first tablet, the first five or or four of the Ten Commandments. If you remember the, the first half... These are all the ones about putting God first. You have no other gods before me, uh, no graven images. They're all about God wanting our whole heart, the, the full portion of our life. I want to be first in your life. That, that's, the, that's the first tablet, table of the commandments. But Jesus doesn't mention those. He only mentions the second half. You might call those the, the horizontal half or the relational half or the, the moral half, the, the stuff people instinctually know. This is what it means to be good. So, adultery, murder, lying, stealing, slander, not caring for your parents, everybody knows those are bad things. No, no culture celebrates those things. What Jesus is doing is he's able to look into the heart and he sees the core issue. And the core issue is that this guy, this rich young ruler, had put something before the Lord his God, something in God's place. He had an idol in his life and it was wealth. One writer, John Piper, says that most deadly appetites are not for the poisons of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. so So instead of coming right at him with the commandments, he tells him to go do something that gets right to the heart of the issue. The rest of 22, he says, but after hearing um, Jesus said to him, one thing you lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Give it all away. In other words, what Jesus is saying in this context, remove the idol from the place of prominence in your life and put me there Instead, Some people teach this as a command to all believers, and and that's the way it's taught. You you take a vow of, of poverty, sell everything you have, and give it all to the poor. That's what it means to be a radical disciple of Jesus. I don't think that's the point Jesus is making here. I think he's looking at one individual. I think he's looking at this one guy, and he recognizes, listen, you have an idol, and your idol is money. And listen... You don't have to be rich for money to be your idol. You can be poor and money is your idol. And what Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm asking you to take that idol off of the throne and let me be there instead. I don't want you to worship money. I don't want it to be what you're putting your trust in. And then verse 23, maybe one of the most alarming, saddest verses in all the Bible, he says this, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Our stuff, it, it lures us away with, with these things Temporary pleasures and, and lots of promises and our stuff whispers. You can have anything you want. And the part it leaves out is that you'll lose everything that matters. Well, I want to show you one more thing, and this is from Paul, just to show you that this is... Uh, These warnings are from the very beginning to the very end of the Bible. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, right at the end of 1 Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy, who's the pastor of the church in Ephesus, the one that Paul had planted and was pastor for three years, so he, he knew the church and he knew their struggles and knew what kind of a place that Ephesus was. And so at the very end here, he says to him, listen, I want you to remind these people that the things that you enjoy are the things that come from God, not from wealth, period. Look at verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, and if you want to know who the rich are in this present age, we are, that, that, all of us. To one degree or another. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Look at those that that first verse gives us, gives us kind of two commands, two, two warnings. Avoid arrogance. That, that's to all the people in Ephesus. That's to all the people in this room. Avoid an arrogance. That arrogance that we saw back in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The arrogance that says, I did this. I, I did this. I may say with my lips I'm blessed, but I know in my heart I'm the one who really should take the credit for all that I have. Paul says to Timothy, warn them. Tell them. Avoid arrogance. Secondly, he goes on to set your hopes. Don't don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but, but set them on God who richly provides everything to be enjoyed. Transfer your hope from this world to the next. Don't put your hope in wealth or material things. Put your hope in God. And then verse 18, they are to do good. To be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. It's three admonitions here, three warnings, three things for every one of us to go, okay, I need to, I need to hear this warning. I'm in the water that's heating up. I'm in the car that's going too fast. Avoid arrogance. Transfer your hope from this world to the next and give generously. And then he gives us two results. Look at the results. Verse 19, thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, spiritual blessing, storing up treasure in the age to come. Here's the second result. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. you'll start experiencing life in a new way. Now listen, if you're a believer this morning, you already have new life in Christ. We have life because we have Christ. That is by grace. You don't buy that life. You don't get it by giving generously. You don't, this isn't, you know, give to God so God will do something for you. That's exactly backwards. You already have life. That's. What he's saying here is, do you want to experience this life which you already have? Here's one way to experience it give generously. Jesus knew. God knew as he instructs the Israelites through Moses. Jesus, the Son of God, here with the disciples knew, Paul knows that money is the greatest competition for your heart. So he says, give it away generously. In doing so, I get your heart. Some hearts often divided. I don't know about your heart. I pray often the psalm that says, unite my heart that I may fear the Lord. I'm easily distracted. This month as we're considering what the Bible says about living generously because we have a God who is exceedingly, abundantly generous beyond what we could ask or imagine or think. It's an opportunity to change a divided heart, to be careful lest we forget to loosen the grip on the stuff that has our hearts. I said it last week, the two goals. There's a secondary goal and a primary goal. The secondary goal is to do the things we've got listed in here. You can see it. You open it up right to the middle. Six million dollars. This is the things we're planning on doing with it, and they're all related to preparing as a church for the growth that's happening, and Tyler, and that it's going to happen. We want to be able to expand. We want to begin thinking about our next campuses. We want to pay off half of our debt. We want to do all those things. We're serious about them. But that's the secondary goal, the primary goal. Even more than we want you to write a check, I want you to be changed. More than raise up money, I want to see this church raise up people who will follow God, who, people who, whom God has their whole heart. And the Bible says, look, we don't get the primary goal without the secondary goal. We don't get to our hearts. We, we don't deal with our hearts without dealing with our stuff. I would say it as boldly as this. There's no progress in sanctification in our becoming who we are in Christ without generosity. That's the purpose of giving. Primary purpose is not that, you know, God to get the money out of our pockets, but that He'd get the idols out of our hearts. As I loosen the grip on the stuff I have. It, in turn, it loosens its grip on my heart. So that I'd have the heart of a disciple, a follower of Jesus This says His. It's not mine, it's His. We'll talk more about that next week. Listen, if you haven't looked through this, I'd love for you to look through this. This explains some of the things that we're um, doing and that we're aiming at, and would we'll talk more in detail about those in the next couple of weeks. The next steps, um, we want you to pray specifically, commit fully, we'd love 100% participation for those that would call Bethel their family home. Give generously, ask God to show you what generosity looks like in your life. And let me just say, if you're visiting this morning and you think, man, I picked the worst time in the world to visit this church. I thought they just, like, preach through the Bible. Well, we do. Come, We, we do. With Joshua, about, we, you can get so much Joshua, you didn't even know. You, I didn't even know that book. Uh, didn't even know it was there. But I don't want to neglect. This is so important in our life. And so I'd say to you, if you're visiting this morning, I'm not asking you to give to Bethel. I'm asking you to give somewhere, though. Give generously somewhere. God doesn't need your money. The church doesn't need your money. He uses your money for growth. He uses what you have in your growth. And we want to grow. So you want to grow? Give. Give lots. Give generously. If not to this church, give somewhere else. But it will force you to change your priorities, in turn changing your affections. It will It'll have a transforming effect on your life. So wh- what now? Here's a couple of things. I want you to pray. I want you to begin praying. And I mean it, really. I, I do. I want you to pray. God, wh- what do you want me to do? How do, you, how do you want me to participate in this opportunity, above and beyond what I'm already doing? I care that you grow with the Lord. I also care about reaching more people in Tyler. Tyler is growing in every direction, and each of our campuses is strategically placed to be a place that would proclaim the gospel to those that are moving into this community. How can you be a part of it, just something that you can even imagine? As we talked about last week, whatever you imagine, God's, God's doing more. And then the next couple of weeks, there are these commitment cards. The front of it looks just like your booklet. It's, they're parked in that display out there. It says, my commitment. There are these commitment cards. And if you want to take one today, in fact, I think I've got a picture of it. There it is. That's what it looks like. Building leaders, growing communities, living generously. That's our vision. Tells you how to pray specifically. And then it's going to ask for a commitment. We're going to ask you the next couple of weeks to make a commitment. What's your commitment for the next two years over and above what you already give? How how might the Lord move you to a generosity beyond just the normal giving that you're already doing? And so we'll talk a little bit about that. I'm going to talk to you about what does it mean in the New Testament to be a a giver and how I don't think that that's the tithe. So you won't want to miss that. So pray about what it is that you're going to do. Pray against what the enemy's going to do in your life. Because he will. You start praying about this, I promise you the enemy will show up to seek to discourage you. So what's God going to do through you? How's he going to change you? This might be the beginning of something really awesome for this church. All over again. Maybe this will be the beginning of something really awesome in your life. When you finally bring this to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I'll have this conversation with you. We'll talk about my stuff and your place in my life. And I hope you will. I hope you won't miss this opportunity to do that. All right. Let's do this. Let's go home. You want to? Come back next week. I asked you last week if um, you'd come here. Make August a priority. I'd love for you to be here the next two weeks because I don't want you to miss this. If you're traveling, if you can get back, I'd love for you to get back. I'd love for you to be a part of what we're doing here as a church. If you would, would you bow your head? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would do what only you can do. One, that you'd open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. You'd you'd get our attention. There's so many things that are competing for our attention. and We've come here this morning and we've worshipped by singing and praying looking at your word and so father i pray by your spirit you've grabbed hold of our attention and father i pray for the things that you're stirring inside of us things that when it comes to money we're if we're honest those things are uncomfortable to us and so father i I pray you'd have your way with us that we wouldn't too quickly brush off what it is that you're stirring and moving in us. Father, I pray you grant us the courage to, to pray about this, to seek you, to ask hard questions. And Father, we pray for this church, that you'd meet our needs, that you would prepare us for all the things we don't even know, but that you know. And so, Father, we, we trust you with all this, and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit.